away here today. Mel Torme on the radio. It's too darn hot. I don't know if that was the Lord speaking. Well, it was the velvet fog himself. It was Mel. But it is warm in here. So when it comes to those times when often we stand, if you'd really rather sit and that's cooler, please feel welcome to do that. Um, if you need to even duck out and grab water or whatever you need to do, please do that. Um, I think it's important for us to participate in worship as comfortably as we can. And I'm sorry about the hot air that comes from the front. I just, I can't do much about that. Uh, <laughs> a couple of things with respect to the bulletin, and that is that we do have the offering prayer printed, and that's in the lower left. So when we get there, if the pastor has the presence of mind to remember, uh, the pastor will invite you to join in that prayer. So it's printed for you. The other thing is there is a date typo under dates to remember. So don't remember July 15th. Remember July 16th. That's the time for the outdoor worship. That's a Sunday evening. As we enter into this lengthy season of Pentecost, it's helpful to remember maybe the bookends of spirit breathing into our lives and at the other end, God's intention of the restoration of all things. Because truthfully, the middle's a mess. <laughs> Jesus, in fact, spells it out pretty plain in today's gospel text. And just buckle up. It's a difficult text to work with, but I hope that we will be able to find some gospel in it as we hear a word proclaimed today. Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 10th chapter. A disciple is not above the teacher, nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the servant like the master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not be known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetop. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Even the hairs on your head are counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my father in heaven. 
But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. The Gospel of our Lord. Won't you be seated? Grace and peace to you from the one who was, who is, and who is to come. I don't think that's the fine print. I think that's all caps. And I don't know about you, but I found the whole thing very uncomfortable in the reading. It would be a bit of malpractice, I suppose, as a person of faith, though, just to say, well, yeah, Jesus was having an off day. Don't worry about him. Cup of coffee, he'll be right as rain. Actually, Seneca, I thank you for your readings today, and I think about how, as you read from Romans, that notion that our lives and destinies are blended with God's. And that's comforting, and that's encouraging, but sometimes, yeah, it's messy, and it is difficult. And that's really what Jesus is getting at with his followers when he spells out the difficulties to come. But there are so many leaps that we have to make, and there's so much sifting out that needs to go on. I can scratch the surface, and I hope that maybe before this is all said and done, at least we will emerge from here saying, thanks be to God who promises to be with us in all of it. Now, let's see if we can actually get there. By the time Matthew puts pen to paper, people had already been disowned by their families for following Jesus. And this is where the unpacking starts. You see, individuals were really extensions of the family. So that meant whatever alignments your family made, relationships with other families and clans, you were in whether you wanted to be or not. Whatever religion your head of household followed, you followed too. And these families, they were supportive, they were nurturing, they were protective, and they saw to all of your needs. Your family also determined your social network. So, if you decide to take up with Jesus in a world like that, the implications go far beyond just having to eat at Denny's when everybody else is eating Thanksgiving at Mom's house. 
the average number of people in our social network today is estimated to be somewhere around 500 people. Now that's not your nearest and dearest, but that's all people that you would know and people who know you and people who know people who know you, you know what I mean? So to follow Jesus would mean losing that social network. I hope that the people from the first service are watching the second service, or maybe you can tell them the next thing I'm saying because I forgot, but this is significant. The commentator, Fred Craddock, says that Jesus is not calling people away from the worst of life, but he is setting in contrast the best that life has to offer with that closeness of family, with what Jesus has in mind. There's a lot more there, too, about the notion of more, less, peace, not peace, that I wish I could unpack today. But let me simply say that Jesus is calling people to something higher than they are at present. And so helping us to understand the end game might help us make a little bit sense of some of these things that Jesus says that are so very troubling. Bear in mind, his goal is the restoration of all things. It is about the healing and the preaching and the teaching and the forgiving. But it is true that not everyone is going to celebrate that or appreciate that. And they might, well, they do, push back. I think maybe that's part of the word for us today. Now, about some of the sifting out of things, when we hear these words, we might struggle a bit with the idea of what it means to be an individual person and what it might mean to be someone who lived in such close relationship with family that all that family was about, you were about as well. Maybe a mundane example. Uh, I'm a pastor of a denomination that my family are not part of. And, well, they got used to it, so I guess that's okay. They still think I'm a little weird, but that has nothing to do with what I do as far as the preaching and the denomination. But had I been in a culture where, say, my individual choices were linked to family, I probably would be disowned. We can't quite imagine that sort of collective way of living, I don't think. Just as people in many Semitic cultures, if they looked at our individual way of doing things, I think it would just boggle the imagination. Another quick example of this individual and family connection we have some new neighbors from Afghanistan, and they were sharing how babies are named. And it has nothing to do with mom and dad going to the cute baby name book. The whole extended family, everybody gets together when mom is expecting a new one, and they decide what this person will be named based on what the family values and what they hope will happen for the child. I love the names of the that our neighbors have. So many of them have to do with kindness, hopefulness, and guidance. It's just, 
I drive them crazy. So, what does your name mean? Tell me your story. <laughs> and they're very nice about it. But imagine that sort of collective way of being when it comes to making what we would regard as individual decisions. So, knowing that there is this divide culturally, maybe that helps us a little bit with what Jesus is about here. Now for the sifting part, besides the individual and the collective way of living. Is this starting to feel like a lecture? Is this just getting really dry or are you okay? I, it's warm in here. Okay. But I, I think maybe this is important. We have a hard time figuring out where church converges and where it diverges from the faith. You don't believe me. Ah, well, I'm going to make a case for it anyway. So, uh, you might have read the Associated Press report about churches in Belgium now. I mean, these beautiful cathedrals that have become things like restaurants and places to go dancing and concert halls and cinemas. And people who used to hang out in church, which aren't many anymore, are grieving the loss. And... I think it's appropriate for us to acknowledge that that would be a form of grief. At the same time, I think we can ask ourselves, what would Jesus say to those who are grieving? And what might Jesus even have to say for those who go to these old buildings and maybe have a nice meal and dance or take in a show? Might it be that church and building are not one and the same. And might God have something in mind for the people who gather in beautiful buildings, whether we get to have the building or whether we don't. Now, to further complicate all this, and this seems to be what I'm doing today, is when we talk about this faithful following of Jesus, whose version of Jesus and what do we think Jesus' agenda is? I had not heard of this group that has been around for a long, long time, based in Pennsylvania in the United States. They call themselves the New Apostolic Reformation. Now, having been through this once and really freaked people out by going on and on and on about it, I'm going to give you the Coles Nose version of this. This group has a twofold mission as far as we can tell. They're going very public with their mission. The first is to unfriend people who are not like them, especially Christian people. I'm sorry, but most of you would be unfriended by this group because many of you have expressed care for the poor. Many of you believe strongly in rights for all people, LGBTQ people, people who immigrate to our country, people who women, <laughs> you name it. Well, this Reformation movement out there would say, well, no, you're not being faithful and we're unfriending you. Their second aim is to insinuate their own members into key leadership positions in all domains of society, from journalism to banking to commerce to government. I can't believe such a place exists. But this group believes they are faithfully following Jesus. So if some smart aleck pastor, some 
guy like me said, well, what if you're wrong? Am I disagreeing with them or am I disagreeing with Jesus? I've gotten into that before. <laughs> I think to understand where Jesus is headed, we really do need to go back to these Gospels and see what Jesus is doing and what he is truly about. Spoiler alert. I don't think it has much to do with this Reformation movement thing. I think it has a lot more to do with the teaching and the forgiving and the healing and bringing in people who are ignored so that they may experience the love of God. Restoration of all things. I love that phrase. I borrow it from our Hebrew sisters and brothers. So, our religious landscape is so confusing now, isn't it? That maybe we do wonder, well, what does it mean for a church? Or what does it mean even for us personally to be Jesus' followers? And it's scary stuff. So there are two things that I would like us to walk away with today. The first is, do a quick count of how many times Jesus, even in this very bracing gospel reading, says, don't be afraid. You have value. And not like value as a resource to be used, but value as a human being made in the loving image of God and carrying out God's loving purposes in the world. That's where our value and our identity are. So yes, we are worth more than the sparrows. And God does have the number of hairs on our head counted. And what all of that means together is that as beloved people sent into a world that God loves, Jesus leaves a promise. And if you skip to the end of Matthew, you get to read it. <laughs> that Jesus is with us in all of this always, even until time is no more. So even in a confusing, all-caps kind of a gospel reading, God is there. Jesus is there. Thanks be to God. Thank you.